And like a blind screen, like a priest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to get started. Oh, we're recording. Hi. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Um, welcome to Grown Woman. Um, this is our fourth episode, and my name is Christina Singh. I am your host. And um, Grown Woman is a podcast all about the small ways in which women are successful. Each week we talk to a fantastic woman about her journey in life and just who she is and where she's come from, uh, because I think it's really important to talk about those small successes. On today's show, we have a beautiful human, (laughs) um, Colleen Blum, and she is the insurance advisor with Combs & Company. Um, I know Colleen through networking, just like every other person that I've had on the show. <laughs> <Everyone>. <laughs> we'll get out of that one day, but probably not. <laughs> but Colleen, welcome. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. <laughs> you are so welcome. I'm so excited <laughs> to have you here. We are in your office. You have given me these like really fun mugs. Yes. I'm really excited to talk to you more today about your journey. Um, so you are insur- an insurance advisor with Combs and Company, um, and you are one of the smartest people I know. And depends on the day. <laughs> you truly are. Can you lean a bit? Li- yeah. Perfect. Sorry. No, no problem. Um, we're super high tech on this podcast, as everyone knows. Um, so I want to just talk to you about your journey because I feel like you have a great story and you are an incredibly strong person and I just feel like you're incredibly resilient as well mm-hmm. and you're the type of woman who just creates her own story and so I just wanted to like get into it with you and talk to you about kind sure. of how you came to be where you are yeah um so I just want to dive in so who are you where are you from who am I <laughs> I'm a little question. girl from Long Island mm-hmm. yeah if you couldn't hear the accent yeah now if you, you couldn't hear the Long Island come out yeah no I grew up out on Long Island um I have two wonderful crazy sisters who mm-hmm. if they listen to this shout out hey. <laughs> um I've heard yeah. so much about you I can't wait to two two amazing parents who raised me um but yeah so long island living um uh you want to hear about the background of the story a yeah that's great mm-hmm. yeah i mean my story is not so interesting but i, I think, think it's, it's something that everybody can kind of take into their own lives because i think it's something like corporate world versus just trying to go and get it on your own yeah. so i started when i was younger um i always wanted to do something beauty wise. Yeah. You know, I was the type of girl where I remember being younger, I think I was like 12 or 13, and I would always like play around with hair. And one of my mom's friend's daughter went to cosmetology school and she ended up giving me her dummy heads, her mannequin heads, after she had already cut them up and dyed them. Sounds so terrifying. I got these like terrifying <laughs> mannequin heads and they ended up in my room. And <laughs> my poor parents and sisters had to like walk past my room while I was pay- playing with these heads. Um, but no. <laughs> <laughs> it led me into, you know, my mom was great and she, she was like, let's get you into a BOCES program, which, you know, in high school on Long Island, you can split up some of your curriculum and you can... Uh, you know, go to first through six, you would go to your regular school, and then you'd go from lunchtime to the end of the day, you could go do a trade school. Oh, cool. So that's what BOCES was. Mm -hmm. So I ended up walking out of high school with my cosmetology license because of that. 
Um, so, I mean, I was working in a hair salon when I was 16 years old, being a, hair, wow. a shampoo little girl. And then you just work your way up the ladder. Um, and then having a chair, loved doing hair. It was amazing. It was so much fun. Um, you know, but as you get a little bit older and you start to look around you and look at what you're doing and what everybody else is doing, um, you know, the women I was working with were amazing, but they had hard times sometimes. And yeah. you started to see a little bit of the struggles that they would face. And, you know, as a younger girl, then being 21, and you're like, what's going to happen for me, right? Mm-hmm. Like, am I going to grow up to be somebody who's standing behind a chair at 65 years old still trying to blow out hair because that's the only living you have. Yeah. So kind of like reevaluating your own life of saying like, what's next? Like, mm-hmm. should I open up my own salon? What should I do? Never thought I would ever walk away from it. But then almost like going out into the real world and getting kind of, not to say a big girl job, because I think a hairstylist is really an amazing career to totally, have. Totally, yeah. And Absolutely. I love everything about it. But also kind of just getting out there and working more in the corporate world. Yeah. So I ended up at this insurance agency. We won't name names. <laughs> this never gets too far out. I've heard this story. Yes. Too, it's <laughs> well, backstory a little bit. My grandfather's an insurance. I mean, I don't think it was something, you know, you sat around the dinner table and he started talking about insurance. I love you, Grandpa. But it was something that you, your eyes kind of rolled over. You yeah. never wake up in the morning. You're like, I'm totally going to be in insurance when I grow up. No. Like, yeah. little girl dreams of something else. I mean, maybe there are some young girls who do. Like, I mean, go get it, girl. Yeah. But not for me. <laughs> no, no, I never dreamed <laughs> of it. No, I was playing with Ed. Yeah. So, I mean, I ended up at this insurance agency. Not even... I wasn't working for my grandfather. I was working... You know, it was totally on the other side of things. My really focus is on the employee benefits on health insurance, mm-hmm. life insurance and disability, dental and vision. So it's more of like those those personal care lines versus my grandpa's really well known in the property and casualty industry. And if anybody that knows insurance, those are two totally different languages. Yeah. So I just by chance happened to fall at this account manager role at one of these employee benefit firms. So it was out, I won't say where it was, it was on Long Island. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I mean, I was young at the time, I was 22, 23 years old then, and it was my first real office corporate job. Um, and I started to really like it, because what it really yeah. comes down to is dealing with people. Mm-hmm. You know, you were getting phone calls of people calling you and telling you about their personal day of what happened to them, or why the bill was missed or Mm -hmm. they just had a baby or they're now pregnant and it's just the same thing when you really look at it it's the same thing as doing hair well I was about to say that like you come from an you came from an environment where you were consistently talking to people you're totally their therapist absolutely (laughs) I feel like every single hairstylist I've talked to just they are Mm -hmm. a therapist totally (laughs) totally and so free therapy well not free but you know what I mean (laughs) but it's uh it makes sense that you would then go into another field where you're talking to people about their personal problems. Yeah, yeah. and it was something by chance, you know, and for anybody who's like, I may be in the same situation, I mean, I sent a resume out to like 200 people. Right, right. And nobody would hire me because I didn't have any experience, background experience. So the one good thing that really came out, or there's some good things that came out of this other job, 
or this first job really that I worked at um, is the fact that they gave me the chance and opened up my eyes of this new industry that I knew nothing about really or didn't have respect for because I just didn't know about it. Well, I had been in your family and so I feel like when you have stuff in your family, you're not always like super... You're not always paying attention to yeah. all of the nuances, or you don't really take it maybe as seriously because you've been surrounded by it forever. Yeah, we're not really, I mean, my dad's a police officer, yeah. right? Everybody's really, whether they were teachers or police officers, my grandfather was really the only one that was in more of the corporate world. So yeah. we weren't really corporate family. So getting into something more of a corporate job, it was scary to do. Yeah. But I started, and I really started to enjoy it. Because you just have to piecemeal it, you know, take it day by day. Google is literally your best friend to understand everything. I didn't know the first thing about insurance contracts, what a deductible was. I was like, what does this even mean? Definition on Google. Like, (laughs) that's how I learned, you know, you have to teach yourself. No one's going to try to teach you. And that's unfortunately the world we live in, I guess. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I was there for a couple years learning it was great I was having a great time you know it was more or less I felt cool and responsible because I was like playing playing on the desk and the computer and like writing notes and I mean it's such a different job totally different yeah yeah totally different wardrobe that you wear totally different atmosphere that you're in um but it was great and then I learned that you can really make money doing it Mm -hmm. and get licensed to do it and I think that's when things really flipped um, and changed in the atmosphere that I was working at. And I started to not be happy where I was working. Mm-hmm. I liked what I was doing. I didn't necessarily enjoy my environment anymore. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I kind of want to go back to when you were working as a hairstylist. Because mm-hmm. um, I know you said you loved it and it was yeah. just such a great experience. But what really made you transition was thinking about like, okay, how am I really going to find stability and how am I really going to, um, like, what do I actually want yeah. for myself? So when you were in the salon, what were some of the biggest lessons that you learned when you were interacting with people? Mm, you are your own boss. Mm-hmm. You are the one person that the mistakes are going to fall on no matter what. Because you're, I mean, whether you're doing hair or not, you're in charge of that situation. So if you put that foil in the wrong spot or if you cut their bangs too short... You're the one that's facing the wrath of what's coming. So learning how to do it constructively of taking the fault, not saying I was bad ever, but also, but saying, you know, people make mistakes, but learning how to take the mistakes and flip them into a positive or try to find a solution. Because in that point, if you did something wrong, you have to correct it immediately. Otherwise... Things are gonna happen, yeah. you know. And that's like a very but visible. You have mistake. to be really quick on your feet, and I think that's. I mean, never even really thinking about what I. That's the biggest takeaway I think, of mm-hmm. where I came from, um, the resilience of what you have to go through, mm-hmm. and then also being on your feet for twelve hours a day. Yeah, you learn how to take care of yourself and your body and your mind yeah. is like the most important thing to do. Totally, I really want to talk to you about also the environment because I know. <laughs> the, the salon environment? Yeah. Oh. So I know that um, it's, I mean, I'm assuming it was typically a very, like, female-driven mm-hmm. environment. Yes. And you've typically, like, been in female-driven environments, be- which is kind of yeah. rare in insurance yeah. at times. But 
for the salon, what was that like and like what kind of lessons were? You know, I worked, I worked for uh, three salons throughout my life or four kind of, but the first two, they were just, I was more of like the shampoo girl where it was, you're the assistant to people. And then the, by the third and fourth one, I really got into more of a corporate um, salon company where they had multiple salons all over Long Island. But I was really, most of my years spent in training and where I got a lot of my training from was this one salon that it was more older, not saying older women, they're not old women, but they are older than my age that yeah. I was. So they were in their 30s and 40s and 50s. Um, but they all had relationships and families. So I really grew up in that salon understanding and seeing the day-to-days struggles that they would go through or the wins that they would have or like their exciting times so that was like really a family dynamic and then the salon owner um asked me to come to a more industrial they were trying to like expand the way the the salon company was looking so they opened up this brand new more industrial looking salon and they wanted to bring it more to like the younger demographic so they brought in like all the younger stylists that they would want to try to get this one up and running so we went there and that's when it really changed for me because I went from a family dynamic where they like really cared about you and everybody would go to everybody's weddings and all the baby showers and it was just so much fun and then i got into the one that um it was the younger dynamic and it was so catty and just anything you would imagine on tv like what was that show the jerseylicious show or something (laughs) oh gosh it was crazy with the long nails and the hair extensions if you think of long island and jersey shore like mix all that together you got that in one salon. And I was like, this is not my cup of tea. I think I need to step out of this life. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Because, yeah, you are so not. not. (laughs) (laughs) No. You are like, yeah, you're very different from. Yes. Yeah. But I also think you, I mean, you've told me before that you've, like, recognized that in yourself. And that was, like, also one of the things that. Yeah, you grow up, I think, a lot. You know, I was very young. I was so young and it was all I knew. And then when you started to realize, like, this is going to be your life forever the drama of the day-to-day that one salon that I worked in with the family dynamic didn't really have the drama it was more or less when I tried to start this or help start up this newer one Mm -hmm. um, that it turned into something that I just didn't want to I couldn't be around it kind of drained you by the time you left you were like who's faker me or the person that was standing next to me and it lost yourself you know yeah I think it's like a great lesson in problem solving and like understanding what you can and cannot solve and yeah. understanding like personal dynamics and who you can give yourself to and who you can't. Yeah. yeah. And, and I remember yeah. I got a phone call from the owner of the salon, you know, cause he found out that I was leaving. I mean, he had owned 25 salons across Long Island, but everybody's going to know what that means. <laughs> but, uh, he had said, Colleen, you know, what can I do to get you to stay? And I said, I think it's just really time for me to move, move on and check out other industries yeah. because, it's not it's not the company that I'm leaving. I just have to leave the industry for yeah. myself. So when you made that decision, you prepped your resume 
and you sent it out. You like you sent oh, it to over. I had like two people. two lines on my resume. Like <laughs> <laughs> I can do hair. Number one, I can't believe I've never had you cut my hair. Exactly. Before. Number two, I don't know what Excel is. Yes. <laughs> Number two, I feel like that is super super relatable, mm-hmm. um, especially when you're switching industries. Yeah. Because you are essentially in an industry from the age of sixteen. Mm-hmm. Like that's crazy. Yeah. And then to completely switch it up. It's scary. It's scary. So scary. But you did it. So how, like, who, so who reached out to you and, like, how did that process come to be? Like, did you go on an interview or yeah. did they, like... I mean, I, w- I would literally post on, I mean, back then it was, like, you were posting on Craigslist, yeah. all these ads. And, I mean, I would remember I was sitting, waiting at a, for another appointment to come in. And every time in between appointments or if somebody's hair was processing, I was, like, sending out resumes. Just like sending wow. out, sending out, sending out. I was like, this is never going to happen for me ever. No, who's going to hire me? Wow. And eventually, I mean, you start to get calls like maybe somebody wanted you to come be an assistant. But I knew I knew, I didn't just want to be mm-hmm. somebody else's assistant answering yeah. their phone calls. Because y- although you want to leave the industry, you don't want to like stunt yourself. Mm-hmm. So I wanted something more. And then this account consultant manager role came up. Meaning it, you weren't going to become the manager. You were just going to handle the yeah, accounts. Some accounts, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was like, all right. So I went in, and it was a great interview. It was easy for me to get to. And I said, why not? Let's try it. Yeah. So you were there, and the environment wasn't great after a while. Yeah. So <laughs> Say that. You're, you're having some issues. Um what lessons did you take away from that environment? The biggest lesson I can say is that there's some people in this world that will be nice to you when you are beneath them. And then once you start to become level to them or even a little bit better, they feel threatened. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, in my experience alone, it might not be everybody's experience, but I mean, in my experience, I've only worked with women in my entire life. Most of my experience has always been surrounded by women. Mm-hmm. Um, there's two types of women for me in this world. There's the ones that are gonna knock you down when they feel threatened, or there's ones that are gonna build you up to become better than them. I think you make a really great point on the dynamics of women in the workplace. Yeah. Because I have talked to a lot of friends who have managers that have purposefully kind of misaligned them in order to it seemingly just feel better about their own role. Yeah. Um, or not give them resources when people are asking for them. Or um, just kind of speak to employees in a way where you just feel less than. Yeah. And I think it's really important to understand that as a manager or as a coworker, you're really not doing yourself any favors no. by representing yourself in the workplace in that way. And it's also just highlighting so many of your own insecurities mm-hmm. that could be, you could be honest about. And you could, you know, I think everyone's gonna have their own shit. That yeah, they bring absolutely. Into the workplace. Me too. Yeah. But I also think that you can learn and grow. Right. Some people have their limitations, maybe they're not going to do that. Mm-hmm. But I think I've heard from a lot of women literally on the last episode we talked to Stephanie about this with her old boss how she just noticed these very subtle ways in which she was kind of going through some verbal abuse at work yeah and yeah 
<laughs> and people not really telling her boss, not telling her what she actually wanted. Yeah. Or how she wanted to execute something. Um, and then her just feeling like really misaligned in her role. And this is not something that's uncommon. No. So what do you think is like the issue? I mean, I mean, I don't know. Unfortunately, the problem is everybody still thinks we're in elementary school. You know, I don't know what the the problem is or the threat, I guess, is. Because in my opinion, if somebody was underneath me and they were running sales or they were running account manager for my clients that I got in, I'd want you to be the best possible person that you can be because then it makes me look good. Mm-hmm. If you are doing well, then I'm doing well and our company's doing well and everything's working great. So I don't understand the other side of the mentality. It's almost like bullying to make themselves feel better. Yeah. But the elementary school days, I thought it was going to be left on the playground, and it's not. Mm -hmm. It's really, it carries you all throughout life. And I think that people get so caught up in their heads of what they feel like they're supposed to be doing and how they're supposed to be acting. And maybe they watched way too many movies with, um, you know, nasty bosses, but some women feel like they need to be more bitchy than to try to keep up with the male mentality. I don't know. I don't know. Well, I think you hit on something that's really interesting and which is like the male mentality yeah. in the workplace. Um, oh god. Because <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think it's it's something that is an issue for women in the workplace mm-hmm. obviously and we hear that all the time. But I think when it comes down to having women act a certain way in the workplace, behave a certain way, quote-unquote, perform a certain way. Yeah. Um, it is underneath a male mentality a Join lot of the Join the boys club. Yeah. Right. And I think that is incredibly challenging when yeah. you have a completely different lifestyle. Totally. But I also think it's also super empowering. Totally. I yeah. don't... I don't necessarily, especially in my industry where there's a lot of older men or men in general. I mean, I work for a company now where the owner is a full-on woman and the we try to keep it really women-oriented. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm still in that woman's mentality kind of. So it's great that I work here. Um, but I mean, when we go to these conferences or you go to all these meetings with all you're surrounded by is males Mm -hmm. but to kind of I'm not going to have that conversation I don't know I know sports but I don't know crazy amounts of sports so I can't tell you about who won out in California I don't really care to know (laughs) so like when I start talking about the stuff I want to talk about they're like uh what are you saying oh you feel uncomfortable well that's what you're you don't know what I'm talking about I don't know what you're talking about with sports. (laughs) So can we talk about something we both know here? Yeah. So I think you have to kind of just be kind of your own voice of it's hard. Any industry is hard. Yeah. Well, I think what you're talking about is also culture, which is something we're hitting on in almost every single one of these episodes. It's like it is hard for people to fit into a culture. Mm -hmm. It's hard to remain authentic because you're trying to make money. Yeah. And you're trying to adapt in order to be the best version of somebody else's image of what that person should be like it's really strange i think it's a a lot harder if you're a big corporation i think if small if you're in a small business if the culture is not there try to change it yourself Mm -hmm. 
Because yeah. if you bring it up and speak your mind and say, you know, I don't like this or I don't, mm-hmm. I don't relate with that, you know, maybe they can start doing things that everybody relates mm-hmm. to. Because the culture world of big corporate world, I mean, we're sitting here in a co-working space. Yeah. I feel like all companies now are starting to be smaller companies. That's where us younger people are starting to lean towards. We don't yeah. want to work for big corporations that we feel just like a number ticket. For sure. I mean, I hear that all the time. (laughs) (laughs) But I also think something that comes up when I'm talking to friends or, you know, colleagues about bosses or um, people in the workplace who are making them feel uncomfortable or people above you Uh is people aren't really acting like a resource in that moment. And I think the number one thing you can do to somebody who is learning is be a resource for them. Yeah. And I think that's a mistake a lot of people are making and a lot of supervisors are making. Yeah. They're not looking at themselves as resources. They're asking what you can do for me. Mm-hmm. And if you want somebody to do something for you, you have to teach them yeah. and understand that they're going to need more resources. Totally. Um, and also to the flip side of that, I keep flipping it all on you. No, it's fine. But, I mean, for me, nobody told me anything. Right. So, and not to say it like that, but really, like, I didn't, when I went to that job, they expected you do your job. Yeah. If you don't know it, figure it out. Yeah. So that's also, I think, not to say a problem that everybody kind of wants somebody to hold their hand. I don't want you to hold my hand. Mm-hmm. I want you to, I want to figure it out on my own. And then if I need, if I can't find the answer, then I'll come to you and ask. For sure. Because I'm more or less the type of person that's going to Google it, try to read it, try to find mm-hmm. it. If I can't figure it out, I'm going to try to listen to somebody in the office while they're on phone call, which try totally. to understand what they're saying yeah. and like sneak bomb them. But like try to figure it out on your own because nobody's going to help you. Absolutely. Anymore. I, it's really yeah. not. Well, I also think that that also comes down to your workplace being direct about their expectations. Yeah. And which nobody has really. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I also think that, I mean, I was the same mentality as you. Like I entered into the nonprofit space yeah. and I didn't know anything about it but I just learned through experience totally. and through understanding and I fortunately was able to go to trainings when I was more established mm-hmm. and learned so much but it was just through doing and experiencing that I understood and that's why you're so great to, at what you do oh, well, <laughs> um, but I just feel like there's value in experience yeah and it's scary yeah but similar to what you were saying about you take you took that leap you sent out 200 resumes mm-hmm. you got this job and you started that's really important yeah so I want to talk about that next move that you made because I think it's a really cool story oh um, yeah so when you were feeling coming home crying yeah <laughs> overwhelmed crying. you know but again we talked about this with Stephanie I've talked about this with other people like it's such a it's common trend such yeah. a common trend mm-hmm. for people to just feel so overwhelmed and like they can't express themselves or like they're feeling overwhelmed and not appreciated and not heard in the workplace mm-hmm. so you were feeling like you had enough yeah um and so yeah. what did you do I would come home where you'd leave the office and you'd have more of a pit in your stomach than you had going into the into the office. So once you get to that point, you know I'm checked out. Mm-hmm. I'm a very nice person mm-hmm. to a point, mom. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I I get to a point where I was literally crying when I got home one day. 
And I just said, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn, what's going to happen. I just hate it here. So I just started Googling. You know, Google is your best friend, I love girl. Google. Google <laughs> has saved my life, literally. Um, so I started Googling, and I ended up, you know, after a few hours, Googling successful women in insurance. Because I just figured there had to be somebody out there. Yeah. That just knew this, knew the struggle and knew how to get there. Because, like I said, there's not a lot of people, a lot of women in the industry. So I was like, do I have to change industries again? Like, come on. So I typed in successful women in insurance. And an article came up of top women. And I clicked on it. And literally, I was scrolling through it because there was like 10 women on it, 10 or 12 women on it. And the first, and they gave a picture and a bio. Yeah. So I was reading every picture and bio, and one of them was really old, and I was like, oh, old, boring. Jesus. Boring. (laughs) (laughs) This is what I'm going to turn into. Yeah. But they they reminded me of more of, like, the older male type of person. And I was like, I'm not that person, so I'm not going to try to become this typical insurance person. Looking for authenticity. Yeah. So I kept going down and going down, and then I came across my boss, Susan Combs, who was like an angel shot on the screen. Because it was just, she's she was younger, she's 10 years older than me, she just had the coolest story, and she just seemed like she was down to earth. And it's exactly what I was looking for. So I clicked on her website, and I found her support line, and I realized she was in New York City, and I was like, ugh. New York City. I'm never going to work in New York City. Like, this lady's probably, like, such a huge person. She's never going to respond to me. But I emailed her support line, and we've actually looked back on it this past I'm summer so and excited. laughed at it. Um, I should have pulled it up for this. I know. So oh, funny. my God, that would have been great. Yeah. So it was really, like, uh, hi, my name's Colleen. Um, I mean, I probably should have started. I was, like, a little girl from Long Island. But I was, like, I'm, I'm such and such age. I am in this industry. I just started. I don't really know where to go next. I love what I'm doing, but I don't like where I'm at. And I don't know if I need a mentor or if I need to open up my own shop or what should I do. Any suggestions you have, I'm open to. So I just left it at that and I was like, whatever, send. You know, bravery at night after working and crying. And, you know, during the week, I ended up getting an email back from her. And then her assistant connected with me. And then she's like, why don't you just come meet Susan for coffee or lunch? So I came into the city one day. And I was like, this is crazy. Uh, Because, I mean, she's in articles all over. So, like, you type in her name on Google and she's, like, just pinging up on every spot. Yeah. All over the United States. Everybody knows her. So the fact that I was going in, I was like so nervous to meet her. And then she was just sitting there talking and she was like, hey, you know, one of my girls is going out on maternity leave. Um, it could be a really good opportunity if you wanted to like come and see how it worked out. So I came and here we are almost five years later. Um, you still work And here. she is the, one of the biggest mentors in my life. Like it was just Google saved my life, thank mm-hmm. God. Yeah. Well, I think also Susan recognized that you had a lot of potential and that you were ambitious. Yeah. Because somebody who was not ambitious would not do that. And somebody who wasn't looking, genuinely looking for help wouldn't do that. And then also Susan is definitely 
you know, seemingly somebody who wants to add value to others. Yeah. Like, totally. for her to respond to you and have you come in, I'm sure she was thinking, like, here's a young person, a young woman that I can impact and really see grow. And yeah. if they're emailing me and taking that initiative, I want to invest the time. Like, what a gift. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, thinking back on it, like, me emailing, I was like, this is never going to work. Ever. Like, this lady's probably never going to respond. And I didn't think it was a brave thing to do. But now everybody I talked to is like, I can't believe you emailed the support line and just was like, hey, Mm -hmm. what's up? I need help. (laughs) I was like, well, what's the big deal with that? If you want something or if you want to make a change in your life, like, you're the one driving yourself. Like, you're the one that's going to get there. If you're not happy with where you're at, do something. Yeah, take the action. Do something. For sure. Otherwise, you're going to be crying every day. Exactly. And if you're not taking an action, even if it's something, you know, as simple as writing an email, that's really scary. Like, yeah, totally. Sometimes doing that is just like incredibly intense and putting yourself out there in that way is not easy. No, and yeah. that completely changed your life. Absolutely. I mean, from there, um, my boyfriend also, he had changed his job too. And it was like, we're, we're moving into the city. Mm-hmm. And we packed up literally and we... You know, a couple weeks later, we got out of our rent and we rented a perfect place in Queens. And it was just like we both started new lives at the same exact time. It was crazy. It was like a whirlwind of emotions of like being terrified of leaving, Mm -hmm. like leaving. I grew up in Suffolk County. Like I never wanted to move into the city, but like picking up and leaving was absolutely terrifying to move that far away from your family. Like, I mean, it's not that far. Right, your family. You're like Colleen. I moved from California. Like, come on. But for me, I was like, Mom, Dad. They were like, Don't go. (laughs) Well, I think it's you know, it's it's weird because Long Island is like a small town, Mm -hmm. and it's a small but big town. Now that I realize it, yeah. And you came from a very, you have a really tight knit family, and you have a really tight knit community, and you grew up in a very Long Island environment, like right. you were saying. And so you knew what you knew. Like white picket fence kind of. Right. Yeah. And you <clears throat> didn't necessarily want to leave that. No. Yeah. But I wanted to like get married, have babies like ASAP and <laughs> like didn't even think yeah. of like career wise. Right. And like you come mm-hmm. to the city and it's like total career mentality. It's a total shift. Yeah. And like, but I also think you were thinking about your career mm-hmm. long before and you knew that Without even knowing was it. off. Yeah. And so what was your first week like here? Oh, God, I don't even... Oh, I do remember. So I came in here. We weren't in this cool office space. We were just in a regular office kind of situation. Um, But Rachel was the one going out on maternity leave. I mean, she was just ready to pop. So she was, like, trying to train me on everything that was going on. But luckily, all the systems that I was using out where I was were the exact same that they were using here. So for me, it was more or less just like changing over names and then starting to network. And that was like a whole different scary damn on beast by itself because I never had to network. Yeah. People just came to me, you know, even in the hairstylist world. Like somebody would walk in, they'd become my best friend and sit in my chair. Mm-hmm. Like here, I have to like go out and like put myself out there. Yeah. It's terrifying. So how did you do that? I got into B and I, our networking cult that everybody keeps talking on I this know. thing about. Yeah, it's true. I mean, Susan was like, actually, Ben Prusky was 
we met him once and he was like, Susan, Susan says you gotta get you gotta join this networking group. They're great. And we had started and it was like six people in the group at the time. And I remember walking into that meeting and I was like, this is so weird. Like, why well, I have to talk about myself? Like, I don't even know what I do. Like, I don't know how to sell this stuff. Like at that point it was like flip of me becoming a salesperson as well. Yeah. So it was like am I going to be a sleazy salesperson? Like, then you start to think, like, do I have to become one of these people? And it doesn't turn into that. Like, New York no. City is so different. It's like, they're going to buy from people who they like. But I also think the format of B&I is just really strange totally. in general. Yeah. Like, when you're totally not used to it or when you're not a salesperson or, like, when you're just, like, not in that world. Mm-hmm. It's, like, very foreign. Because essentially you have to get up and pitch. My palms, they talk about palms sweating. Yeah. Like, that first meeting, and there was only six people in the room. But I was like, like I have to worse, stand like. up right now, stand mm-hmm. up and talk about me. Like, I just start, I don't know. Like, what am I supposed to say here? I'm not cool and clever. <laughs> and, and at the time I was like, God, I'm old now. No, you're I not. I was like 24, 25. I mean, some people are networking now and they're like 19. Yeah. Like, you are crazy. You're so good. But like me I was like I'm such a baby here like there was all older people in the yeah. networking group I'm like nobody's gonna take me seriously everybody knows I just started they're all looking at me like okay intern like but I think that's such like a good I think it's so good though like that you can say that because and admit how you're feeling because I feel like it really triggers on imposter syndrome that a lot of women have like you essentially had to learn yeah. To be a professional woman in New York. Which is and like how a, to talk about yourself. Right. Which, like, like, you're not supposed to, like, brag, right? But yeah. you should be. Yeah, and I think that's something, that's a skill that Minna really touched on oh, in our first her. episode. Yes, love her. Um, <laughs> that you, you flip the script. Yeah. And we talked a lot about that. You know, you have to flip the script when you're in front of people, um, and you're not going to learn how to do that right away it's not gonna come naturally you have to practice even today like sometimes i go to networking events now where i don't know anybody oh my god can you describe the wine one please which one the wine one oh no (laughs) sometimes you'll sign up for networking events where you're just like this is great we're just gonna get our name out there you know now finally five years later i'm more comfortable networking but i went into this one like hoity-toity, totally not in my realm or wheelhouse. Like, the way people were talking, I was like, they were talking about their wine. I like a glass of wine. I like cheese. I don't know the difference between the certain reds, like, at all. Does it taste good? Cool. Great. I'm going to drink it. Is it going to give me a headache? I'm not going to drink it. Like, is it too sweet? I don't like it. Like, that's the way I I wine taste. Me too. So I went to this wine taste thing. Exactly. So I went to this wine tasting. I was sitting there and it was like gibberish to me. And everybody around me was like all dressed up, all so nice. And I was like, what Twilight Zone did I walk into? Like, this is not the fun Long Island wine tasting. Like, this is like really high end. Might work for them. But all I kept thinking in my head was like, I really want peanut butter and jelly. And as soon as that thought came in my head, I was like, I don't belong sitting next to these people. Like, I gotta go home. (laughs) That's the best part that you were telling me about when you first told me the story. was like, you were, like, you went into the wine tasting and, like, people just started out of nowhere talking about their wine. Oh, the marshmallows? Yeah. How they could taste marshmallows. I taste the marshmallows and the grape underneath their feet. I was like, you taste feet in your wine? (laughs) 
what? It's disgusting. I, I Why are you like, drinking that then? <laughs> I feel like I have to have a sommelier come on the show now to be like, teach I took us. my bag and I literally, while they were changing the presenters, I was like, I gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye. But I love that because one thing I really love about you is that you're 100% authentic. And you don't try and be anybody else. And I really is love that. Is that a good fact. or a bad thing? No, I think it's great. <laughs> I love the fact, because I think in the workplace, um, we're always told that we can't be authentic or we shouldn't mm-hmm. be, and we always need to be somebody else. Yeah. At least that's the pressure that I felt a lot. Um, and so I love people who really disrupt that conversation. And um, you are 100% yourself, and you know when you go into a networking environment where people are just starting to talk about the marshmallow that they can taste yeah. in their wine, mm-hmm. and you're like, uh-huh. they're not for me. You're, no, you just, you know, you left, which I think is great. Yes. Because you knew that you weren't going to be of value and you weren't going to find value in that room. No, and it's also something where you need to kind of, I mean, in my opinion, surround yourself with people that are like yourself because those are the people that are going to have like-minded people who would do business with you. I, so like yeah. if somebody in that group would have called me and I'm not going to be on their level. Not saying that I'm not as in, as intelligent as they are. I'm saying just personality-wise, I think we'd clash. I mean, there's a lot of times people have called me and I'm like, I'm not a good fit for you. Yeah. Because like you're just too much. It's good that you can <laughs> say that though because yeah. um one of our fellow members, Laura, was talking about how you have to be honest about what you can and can't do. Yeah, you and do. That's yeah, and you have to also like if you're if you're Susan says all the time, you know, if if somebody calls because you have caller ID, everybody has caller ID. If you cringe every time one of your clients calls, you have to fire that client because work is not supposed to make you feel like you don't want to answer the phone. Right. Yeah, that's such good advice. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, some people have no other option. Like, you have to do it. Yeah. For somebody in sales, like, you eventually, like, in the beginning, you're going to take whatever you can take because you're so hungry. Mm-hmm. But eventually, it'll get easier that you then start to become a little bit more selective of who you want in your book. Mm-hmm. Because not everybody should be in there. Right. The delinquents should not be in there. The mean people that are going to yell at you for every dime is should not be in your book. Yeah. No. I I want to talk to you about insurance. Ooh. <laughs> because um, recently you gave a presentation on women's health and yes. insurance. Yeah. And you have a ton of knowledge, a shit ton of knowledge, I should say, yeah. about insurance. And so number one... What are some general things that women should be aware of when they're choosing an insurance provider or just in general when it comes to their insurance? You have to be an annoying patient. Mm-hmm. You, have you tell to, me that all the time. All the time. Because, like, I'd rather walk into a doctor's office. I mean, now we go to our OBGYNs, we go to our doctors, and they're so great. Some of the doctors are so great, but they want to do, like, these genetic testings and this testing and that testing and that. And it's awesome, but... I mean, I would say 90% of those tests might not be covered by the insurance. Yeah. Because some of them, like you might walk in thinking you're just going in for your well check visit and you walk out with a $900 bill because they wanted to do all these tests, which is great that you now know that you're healthy and you have all this information, but it hurts your wallet. Mm -hmm. So you have to be annoying. Like my doctors absolutely hate me. And the poor nurses at the desk are like, please go away. Because I just... Do you have to do that? Is that diagnostic? Is this something that's going to be cut? Do we need prior approval for that? Like, you have to be the one that's annoying within those five minutes versus having to deal with the bill for the next five Uh years. Yeah. 
So what should women know when they're choosing their insurance plan? Like what are some things that they should pay attention to? Your doctors. The great thing with the Affordable Care Act is that everything is now covered all the same for the most part. You have the 10 essential benefits built in, which is women's health is in there, which is great. The biggest thing that you have, though, is the network of doctors of where you can actually use it. So you have to be smart on where you can utilize your insurance plan. Don't just blindly walk into some Dr. Joe Schmo office and expect like everything's going to be covered. You need to be proactive and looking to make sure that doctor accepts the insurance if they're sending blood work out that the whatever facility that they use is in network with your insurance um but a lot of the times some women just don't have the option your company might only give you one plan Mm -hmm. so it's not necessarily like which plan should they pick it's just within the plan that you're on be annoying yeah be annoying yeah make sure you have approvals for everything because Mm -hmm. some of these tests or some of these doctor visits or some whatever the case is some mammograms you have to make sure that everything is prior approved before you get the bill yeah what do you hear a lot from people who are from women you're working with when it comes to their insurance there's a lot of confusion on well care okay meaning like the well checkup visits that they get so we have a lot of expectations when we walk into our doctors that's the one visit we really care about you know our OBGYN visit and our mammograms because those are really what's going to tell us what's going on as a female if we're talking about female stuff um, the biggest thing is diagnostic versus well care is two totally different things. If your doctor walks in and spends three seconds with you and walks out the door, it's a well check visit. Mm-hmm. If they're in there for 20 minutes with you, checking on things and they feel something and something's yeah. moving around, you know, I'd rather pay for that visit as a diagnostic visit to catch something versus not going at all with the fear of getting right. hit with the bill. But understanding too, just because you're going in for a well check visit does not mean you walk out and it's no charge. Mm-hmm. You might be charged for it. So it's asking questions. You just really have to have relationships with your doctors now. Yeah. Yeah. Which is harder and harder to have because some of them just don't take insurance anymore. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. That's another thing too, I would say. Like a lot of the times I get calls from people that say, like, my OBGYN doesn't take my insurance, but I'm pregnant. And I want her to be the one that delivers the baby at the hospital. Interesting. That's, an, it is, it's totally interesting because it then comes down to like your doctor's bills when they give birth in the delivery, the doctor won't be covered, but some of the hospital would be covered. So those conversations are always super interesting to mm-hmm. have to try to come up with solutions of who else can be touching you that would mm-hmm. actually have the birth be covered. Um, but a lot of the times people just don't want to change their doctors. Right. And then they get hit with these like enormous. Yeah. But you have to have, you have to really be, your doctors has to be transparent on costs because you, that's another thing like questions and knowing you got to know how much it's really going to cost you. Um, yeah. IVF is huge. Yeah. I wanted to talk to you about that because, sorry, we have like, we're in a co-working space, so you probably heard noise throughout the conversation. (laughs) We have people like kind of changing bags and stuff, so don't worry about it. Um, But I wanted to talk to you about IVF because you've mentioned, you mentioned in your presentation, it's huge now. Can you elaborate on that? I mean, IVF is something that I wish I could find the best solution in the world for because you start to see friends and you start to hear so many clients talking about how we're working now but the older we're getting the more struggles people are having to have babies yeah um because we wait longer a little bit um but the problem with 
a lot of the states is that they'll cover some of the prescriptions or some of the drugs you would need and the doctor visits. But the actual IVF treatments or the passing of the eggs or whatnot, the actual um, whole process is not covered, which is the 30,000, 40,000 ticket item. So there's really no solution for that in regards to insurance because the insurance carriers look at that as if it's not natural then it's not interesting a necessity yeah because you're then it's almost not to say it's a cosmetic thing but it's almost like going in for you know getting your nose done it's Mm. an elective procedure so they're not covering it i see because you're choosing for it it's not happening naturally Yeah. yeah so it's something that I mean, I totally wish, that's why we go to these conferences and, I mean, we travel all over and we talk to so many people just to try to find solutions for these type of treatments, but it's such a big ticket item, who knows if they're ever going to cover it because it's so much money. And it's, um, like you said, it's an elective procedure and it's also kind of controversial in some ways. And I hate when they say that it's an elective procedure. I know, Yeah. yeah. It's really, and it's... Because it also is, it's such an emotional process. And it's happening to so many people. So many people. So many people. I mean, I talk to somebody once a week about it. Oh, yeah. I've met a lot of women who are going through this yeah, process Yeah, once right a week. And it's not something, and I think when they say that it's elective, it's not. I mean, it's something that people are having more and more struggles with. And I think it's because of the environment we now live in. Mm-hmm. Or the circumstances people are in. So, yeah. you know, whether it's the the age or whatever the case is, yeah. you know, nobody's getting pregnant at 16 years old anymore. You know, that's when everybody was healthy, young, and you have everything going for mm-hmm. you. But the older we get, when, you know, you now need two incomes to raise a family. So yeah. women are waiting. Yeah. I, um, I want to ask you about kind of like the state of insurance. Mm. Um no comments (laughs) (laughs) because obviously it's um healthcare in this country is really intense and you talk about that a lot Mm -hmm. you're a big proponent on just knowing your information Mm -hmm. you're very much like just know what's happening yeah and and get into it so how do you keep up number one i know it's your job but how do you keep up how do you keep up with all the questions that you're getting like CNN, how do yeah. yeah how do people it's keep crazy. up i mean there's so many there is articles every day on this that comes out and with the administration that's in place right now there's always articles on what they're saying about what's going to be happening um but right now the law of the land is the affordable care act is here and it hasn't been shooken up and hasn't been able to be removed. Mm-hmm. So we just go forward as it's, it's going to stay for now. Um, I mean, who knows what's going to happen? Because it's such a health insurance is such a beast to try to fix. Yeah. Because people have so many, they think they have so many great ideas on how they're going to fix it. But the problem comes down to money. Money and people are unhealthy. That's mm-hmm. what happens. Who's going to pay for it? Where's yeah. the money going to come from? Because the hospital bills cost $5 million, $10 million if you have cancer, you know, for one person. So multiply that by how many people, and then across America, we're just in, it's a downward spiral that, but to keep up with the information and all the articles, I mean, you just have to read. 
Mm -hmm. just have to read. Everybody's coming up with a new solution on what they think. Yeah. But CNN is the worst in the entire world because I have so many clients that are like, oh, CNN said the Affordable Care Act's gone and I can cancel my insurance now. (laughs) Okay. You can do whatever you want, but that doesn't mean that if you get hit by a bus tomorrow that the bills aren't going to be a million dollars. Well, I think for me, something that's really disturbing when I see, like, the state of insurance, like, all these GoFundMes and, like, all of these, like, huge fundraisers to fund people's health care. It's something that I feel like is really kind of crazy right well now. the problem is like the deductibles are so crazy high yeah. so you do need those gofundmes whether you have insurance or not but like people just can't afford you're paying for the insurance plus you're paying your deductible, a new car yeah. every year that's what it comes down to when i talk to people you're buying a new car every single year right right i um what are the hardest conversations you have to have in your job Money. Yeah. Money. I mean, I work with companies that are 1 to 100 employees. So it really... Smaller companies, they're either killing it or they're not. Yeah. But the health insurance, everybody knows they need to have. Whether by law you have to have it or not, it's something that if you get sick or hurt, without insurance, it is catastrophic to your life. Yeah. Because it will destroy you without insurance. Yeah. I mean, the amount of money that, that just to go to the doctor costs, let alone having a week-long hospital stay would be. So the cost of how much people have to pay per month, and especially for employers, it's so hard sometimes to budget it because, I mean, they're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars a year on medical benefits. But also, I mean, I work with a lot of individuals too. So having the conversation where they're just right over that threshold where they're not going to get any help with the monthly premiums with the subsidies, but like it's insurance or it's food. Mm-hmm. Which one do they get? Yeah. You know, like the, the conversation of buying the new car every year, it's really what it comes down to. Yeah. You know, some family premiums are three to $4,000 a month. It's more than some mortgage payments. That's insane. Yeah. It's and sickening. It's sickening. Yeah. Yeah. And it's something that I think a lot of people are obviously aware of, mm-hmm. but I also think, like you're saying, a lot of people are not always aware of it, and they're yeah. not always aware of all of this information, and they're not always aware that if they don't have insurance, it could be 10 times worse. Yeah. Yeah. Do I love paying for my insurance? Absolutely not. Do I know I need it? For sure. Yeah. Because you, insurance is a gamble. You are gambling with insurance. The really, the only way to kind of look at it is you have to manage year by year Mm -hmm. because all these plans renew each year. So you have to look at, okay, what are the next 12 months gonna look like for me? Do I need a knee surgery? Do I know I'm sick? If I'm not, should I gamble and pay less per month to save a little bit of money? Because once you pay that premium, they never give that back. Insurance companies, they're not like, okay, here's your refund. You didn't use it, here you go. Yeah, no. They're, you know, so you're going to pay all this money per month. If you're not using it, you're throwing that money away. Yeah. But all these plans have a maximum out-of-pocket limit that you can spend. So maybe you gamble for a few years until you really need it, until somebody's pregnant. You know, so those are the type of conversations that we really have. It was kind of like, okay, these are the next 12 months of what you're going to pay in the insurance premiums alone. 
plus you're out of pocket. Now let's kind of like really digest of what this would look like for you. Yeah. Do you want to do it now? Spend it now or spend it later? Yeah. Yeah. You really have to have those like really hard Mm -hmm. budgeting conversations with people. So when you get, when you first started out, because I know you are, you're an insurance advisor. So Mm -hmm. you are literally talking to people about their best options and helping them, you know, figure out those solutions. When you first started doing that and you had to bring in people to talk to and had to have that first conversation with somebody, what did that look like? Like, how did you I do mean, that? that's what it really started with when I was at the the, the first company, the first insurance company that I was working with, the yeah. first brokerage. So, like, I really learned by doing renewals mm-hmm. of, like, what that means is just, like, talking with them about their plan and how it increased and, like, Googling what a deductible is because I had no idea what the hell I was talking about. Yeah. But um, I think doing it that way of just having to be thrown into the fire and just talking about it made me super comfortable because, I mean, there was one point where there was another girl sitting behind me at a desk and she turned around and heard me on the phone and she was like, I would buy a garbage bag from you. And I said, what are you talking about? (laughs) She's like, you just can talk about the insurance like it's nothing. So like you, it just has to be, don't talk high level to me. Break it down and tell me exactly what this means in a realistic situation. Mm -hmm. Like, don't tell me deductibles and co-insurance. Give me an example. Yeah. I think that's what really helped was like when people would come in, I'd just sit down with them and talk to them. I'm not higher than you. I'm not wearing a suit. I'll walk in with jeans and some sneakers on mm-hmm. depending on the client, you know, <laughs> but like I'm talking to you as a real person and until you get this, we're not leaving mm-hmm. because until it, you can tell it back to me. I want to make sure that you understand exactly how you can actually get the most out of this. Otherwise, you're just paying for this and you're never going to be able to use it ever. Yeah. It's a waste of money. So I know your mom is also a business owner. Yeah, now she's Jet Set Brunette. Jet Set Brunette. She's a travel agent. Yeah. Um, what lessons has she taught you about, you know, being... Oh, God. She just started a few years ago and she is killing it. And I think the biggest thing is... She just used her natural network. Mm-hmm. I don't really have a big natural network because when I moved from where I was at to here, I kind of started a new one. Yeah. But, I mean, it really just comes down to wanting to do right by people. Like, people call her because they know her and they like her and they want to do business with her. People yeah. are going to call whoever because they know you, they like you, and they want to do business with you. Absolutely. Because they trust you. Yeah. They're not... They're not calling you because, you know, they got your name out of a, a yellow pages anymore. They're I mean, calling except you. for Colleen, who just sends an email Googles. to a support line. Yeah. Google. That's it. <laughs> Google. Just Google people. <laughs> but no, it's right. all word of mouth Well, now. it's all about how you bring value to mm-hmm. other people. Yeah. And then when people see that you're bringing value to them, then they want to interact with you more. Yeah. Growing your network you. is the biggest thing, though. I mean, yeah. it takes a long time. Mm-hmm. Susan would sit there and tell me, get through the first three, three years. Once you're done with the first three years, it'll get so much easier. Yeah. It's true, especially when you move somewhere new and you don't know anybody. You're like, I don't know who to call. Like, I don't have a natural market. All my friends are like, they don't have real jobs. Like, they're (laughs) like 19. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. When I I moved from California to Buffalo, I didn't know anyone. Yeah. And I would literally take the bus to work. And I would sit next to people and I'm a chatty Cathy. So I just started talking to them. You are chatty (laughs) Cathy. Yeah. And I would just start talking to them. And um, 
they would look at me like I was fucking yeah. nuts. And like, I would just be like, how's your day going? They're like, you're a bomb. Why are you talking to me crazy? crazy? <laughs> what is happening? Uh, but eventually I started making friends on the bus. Mm-hmm. And I went out with like a couple girls who I met on the yeah. bus one time. And it's like, you know, when you don't have a network, it's mm-hmm. really hard to meet people. It's really hard Especially to make friends. Mm-hmm. Outside of school, outside of like yeah. a group of people. Yeah. And but once you start, like you said, it gets easier and mm-hmm. easier. Um, so I kind of wanted to talk to you about your health and like your the the way in which you practice what you what you preach because yeah. you definitely take care of yourself. Oh, I like just came up. There's <laughs> <laughs> like a random ghost. Um, but you are somebody who you really take good care of yourself so i want to talk to you about like where that came from and like kind of what like how do you stay motivated yeah what why is that important to you i mean i think it really started when i was younger i was always active you know i played softball i did cheerleading all the time yeah such an oxymoron right yeah But I was not, like, the preppy cheerleader. I was, like, the one that was, like, why do we have to do this? Oh, my God. You were, like, Eliza Dushku's character in Bring It On. Yeah. Who, like, had Like, why are we here? Like, go away. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But I think from there, I was always athletic. So, for me, after, like, when I was probably, like, later teens, like, 19-ish, I stopped really being. Because then you're not, like, in your sports anymore. So, you're, like not doing anything mm-hmm. so I ended up gaining a little bit of weight and like just drinking and like having fun and like doing whatever but like a few years of that I was like I don't feel good like I just don't mm-hmm. feel good I was like eating bagels every day I love bagels you know, <laughs> shout, out like, bagels. shout out to bagels to bagels <laughs> but I think you just get to a point in your life where you're like I don't like the way I look and I don't feel good so I started going to the gym. And that, my friend, is the scariest thing in the world. Yeah. Going to a gym by yourself is, like, terrifying. Yeah, it's not fun. Because you're like, what are these machines? Yeah. Everybody's staring at me. Meanwhile, nobody gives a shit that you're there because they're all in their own head. And yeah. they're all like, I want to die right now. Yeah. What I'm counting down the minutes until I can leave. There have been so many times where I, like have gone onto a new machine and like crashed the weights yeah. or fallen off yeah. or like your phone goes flying off yeah the i get up headphones. and like the headphones yeah goes, yeah it's like terrible you have to like get out of your own head i think yeah. but after a while i really it becomes more of like an addiction of like mm-hmm. you just don't i don't feel good unless i have some kind of physical activity and now especially being in the city you walk everywhere yeah but i definitely i like to get in a bathing suit and not I like to feel good, you know, mm-hmm. like, but also eating healthy. Meanwhile, I love my ice cream, but ice cream does not <laughs> love me anymore. <laughs> Rest in peace to ice cream and any kind of milk. Yeah, like, you were like not, not having happy. fun. No, when you right? Ate ice cream last time. Yeah, exactly. Like, no, no. It's like guilty pleasure, and then you want to <laughs> die. But no, I mean. How well, many you, of these waters I drink? It's really just about, like, I don't feel good if I don't drink water. And I yeah. don't feel good if I skip the gym. Like, yesterday, I literally forgot my pants, my workout pants. And I was so tired. I was like, I don't even want to go. I don't want to go. And I finally went in. And I checked in. And then I got went to the locker room. And I looked at my bag. And I was like, I have no pants. I can go home. <laughs> <laughs> but then I got home. And I was like, now I feel crappy. Yeah. like You, you know? Like, like you feel guilty. Yeah, yeah. But Well, I think what you're talking about also is just, like, a routine. 
Mm. Do you have a morning routine? Absolutely not. Trying <laughs> to get myself into I was into not home. expecting you to say that. <laughs> they say like the most successful people in the world wake up at like 4 a.m. and they go and they read an hour worth of like, I'm trying. I like watched a video about Tony Ugh. Robbins and like me his too. morning routine. <laughs> All of this the stuff. same one where he's like, I think about three things that give me gratitude in the morning. God, I can't think and about then I, one I, thing. <laughs> like, I'm actually not happy. I want to go back to exactly. very much. But then he does like seven minutes of like a really intense like physical workout. And I'm just like, what? Oh, God. Like just all of these little it's like. It's so bio. much harder when you get older too. Like, and especially like having now this job. Like I used to leave the salon at like 8.30, 9 o'clock at night, go to the gym till like 10, 30, 11, and then get home and then like do it all over the next day. Now I leave the office at like five, six or seven and I'm like dragging to get to the office. Yeah. So I'm trying to like this morning, I went to the gym in the morning, but like. It, girl, it was so hard. <laughs> the alarm went off, and I was like, get up. Get yeah. up. You're going out yeah. tonight. Like, I know. We're going to go get wine after this. Yeah, that's why I was like, go And we're now. not going to talk about how as marshmallows in it. We're just going to drink Oh, my it. God. I've been eating fluff every night out of the jar <laughs> <laughs> with a scoop of peanut butter. <laughs> one of my favorite things about you is, like, your random stories about food. Because there's, like, one day you're, like, like, food. you're, like, you're, like, I just ate brown rice, tomatoes, and avocados for like a week because that's all they had at the bodega. And I was like, what? <laughs> just like very random <laughs> Yeah. Meanwhile, in Queens, by the way, you have to walk everywhere. So sometimes I'm too lazy to actually go to the grocery store and get like chicken. Yeah. So I'll go to like bodega right after, right after I get up the train. And they don't really right. have – you're not buying the chicken from the bodega because right. you're going to die. But <laughs> then like we, we all made – Courtney Kardashian's yes, avocado pudding. pudding. Yeah, I made it for my mom after her surgery, and she never ate it. She was like, "Here's my this? thing. Why can't we just eat avocado all together? <laughs> like, why do we have to mush it up and put it in a freezer?" I was like, "This is way too much work. I'm just gonna eat the avocado." It made me like not feel great downstairs. But it was probably doing stuff. <laughs> that Definitely have flushing done. up. Yeah, something. yeah. I have to eat vegetables every day, otherwise I'm not good. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> Let's just talk about more of this avocado pudding and vegetables that give us healthy bowel movements. Yeah. TMI. This just took a left turn. Health, man. Yeah. (laughs) Working out. So fun. So we have a segment on this show called Oh Girl No. Oh No. And we've talked about some of the Oh Girl No's that you've had in the past. But basically, Oh Girl No is... What's some of the worst advice that you've ever received? Or what's something like the worst, one of the worst things you've ever done or something like you've done to like kind of derail yourself or just something that maybe you can think about like that. Oh, my biggest thing is I talk down about myself all the time. You do. You're ridiculous. Like you are so Mm -hmm. I get called out fucking stunning. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Which you are. And thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. And you're so smart. Depends. See? Did it again. See? Yeah. I mean, I think that's my biggest oh girl no. Yeah. Is like I have to stop one cursing, two Well, you're not on the right podcast. Yeah, I know. Two putting myself down. Like I am the type of person that's like to make everybody else laugh, I'll say like I fell down the stairs. Mm-hmm. Or like I forgot my key and had to climb through the window. Oh, you did that. Yeah, that's an actual story. It is an actual story. 
<laughs> Colleen Ford forgot her keys yeah. and like literally stacked to, trash cans. Yeah. On and then top they of fell, each other. and I was hanging from the window. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. why I'm so lovable, though. Yeah, because if somebody carried around a video camera, I think I'd be. I need a reality TV show. You really? That's do. what I do. Absolutely. I mean, ninety percent of it would be me watching like horror Netflix documentaries about like people going <laughs> missing, but the ten percent of it would be really funny. <laughs> <laughs> That's all they use in general for yeah. reality shows, anyway. It's like totally basic. So, is there any um, old girl knows that you've had interacting with other people? <clears throat> oh, like advice you've been given that you're just like no. People don't give me advice, really, do they? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure I've gotten very bad advice. I don't know. I think I try to surround myself with people who would only give me good advice, otherwise I'm not going to be around. Right. Well, I think we were talking about surrounding yourself with people who are like you, but I also think we sound, surround ourselves with a lot of people who are not like us, mm-hmm. but they have the same motivation and mentality. Yeah. Like you and I are very different, right. but we get along really well because we kind of, we come from similar kind of family backgrounds. Yeah. And then also we have this like same motivation and like the same We I feel like we have a very similar sense of humor and we also just have this like energy to keep improving. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I think a bunch of us now are like that. Who mm-hmm. we're going to hang out with later. Um, but it, those are the type of people you need around. You need people that are going to, like, push you out of your comfort zone. Yeah. Because, like, things that you're interested in, I'm like, oh, girl, no. What are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah, but, like, then we could also totally relate on so many other things mm-hmm. that who knew. Totally. Like, you you always give me great advice. You always tell me to not be so nice. And, yeah. <laughs> and you're like, Colleen, please be nicer to people. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like sorry. Okay. And you tell me, please tell me to stop being mean. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I did. I texted her actually. I texted you and Tracy yesterday. Yeah. I was like, can you tell me stop being so mean and judgmental of people? <laughs> we didn't say so, anything. I'm gonna overall mean. know myself on that. Yeah. <laughs> Judge a book by its cover, Colleen. Yeah. <laughs> well, before we wrap up, is there any advice that you have? You know, beyond anything we talked about uh, for women who are getting started, or maybe even women in insurance and in general kind of in google it google it (laughs) you gotta do it on your own you have to because it's gonna feel so much better when you do yeah there's a lot of people that are like buying books or like working um to try to like be somebody they're not and i think you have to like don't stop until you find somewhere you feel comfortable like susan makes me feel so comfortable and like she won't answer my questions until like i try to figure it out on my own but, like, you have to find somebody who's going to push you out of your comfort zone, get a mentor. You need a mentor. You're not going to make it in this world without a mentor. Whether it's your mom, whether it's your dad, whether it's your boss or, like, your sister or some random Joe Schmo person. It doesn't have to be a female. Just yeah. somebody who's going to hold you accountable and, like, how the networking event go? Like, yeah. just, like, business stuff. Business versus life. Keep them separate. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's great advice, and I also think that's something – you through networking when you meet people who mm-hmm. are real with you like I always know you're gonna tell me the way it is like <laughs> I always know you're not gonna sugarcoat things with me mm-hmm. or if you're wanting to be a little sugarcoated you're gonna ask me directly yeah like, you're not gonna bullshit me and yeah. I think that's really really important yeah 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 yeah. Well, Colleen where can people find you you can find me at combsandco.com great yeah Wonderful. like the hair comb c-o-m-b-s <laughs> I say that all the time. Can you say that? How do you spell that? Combs. 
Perfect. Well, thank you for being here. This Thanks was lovely. I'm really excited. And I always say thank you for being here, but I'm in your office. Yeah, you're here. So, well, yeah, whatever. That's it. Well, we it's have been no so outro. fun. <laughs> oh, great. Good. We need like a, a jingle to get your way out. I know. We have no outro and we have no intro. But we're that's gonna fine. Google that. Yeah, we're gonna Google yeah. that. <laughs> Trust me, there's yeah. a lot of Googling when I put this freaking show together. But well, I'm so excited um, and proud for proud of you. This oh, is so fun. So oh, good. I'm glad. Well, you can find us um, at Grown Woman Pod on Instagram. Follow us. Um, and if you ever want to reach out, if you know somebody who would be a great guest, feel free to email me at grownwomanpodcast at gmail.com. Um, this has been Grown Woman, and thank you again, Colleen, for being here. And we'll thank see you, you on the next one, guys. Bye, guys. We're going to go drink wine. Yay.